0: to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up.
1: You're looking for an ethical treat in the supermarket and then you're down the rabbit hole reading the backs of packs. Chocolate makers loving Earth make it easy. Their gorgeous chocolate satisfies more than the taste buds. The whole DNA of the company centres around regenerating the planet. They source their cacao from the indigenous Camito Ene Cooperative in Peru, who they've been working with for over a decade. And to top it off, the packaging is home compostable. Loving Earth is a company that is big on looking after the planet. They're called Loving Earth for a reason. Check them out at your local grocer or health food store.
2: Hey, it's Nathan here. This episode, I got to speak with leadership expert Gail Hardy. Gail is co founder of Global Leadership Foundation, and she works with boards and senior leaders all over the world in organizational change, emotional health, resilience building, and leadership transformation. Gail is one of our guest facilitators on the Small Giants Academy Mastery of Business and Empathy program. If you don't know about that, you absolutely should. It's also a transformative leadership experience, which is in its second year running now and having incredible impact. You can learn more about that over at smallgiants.com.au. In fact, expressions of interest for the 2023 cohort are currently open, so you should go check that out. Gail has worked closely with Small Giants for many years now, and it was wonderful to hear more about how she's come to be doing the work that she does.
1: So you've worked in this space of growing emotionally healthy and authentic leaders for some time now, and I wanted to begin just by hearing a little bit about the context which enabled this work to grow, what it was that set you on the path.
0: That's a great question, one that I've reflected on a couple of times. I really believe it came about in my work when I was in the wine industry. I worked for a well-known family wine company. And what hit me was when I was interviewing the children in the family for Sons, what occurred was that as I asked them about their work and what they wanted in their lives as leaders, and they all had roles in the organization, they each expressed that perhaps what they were doing wasn't entirely the choice they wanted. And I think in most family companies, we certainly know that Things happen where you are expected to take on a role. And so what I was very aware of was these people were doing great work. They were good leaders. However, each of them in their own way was missing the connection, Mm -hmm. didn't feel quite complete. And what I also was conscious of is that when we do the work we love, then we give what we call discretionary effort. There's always more that we find time to do or time to give. And from an emotionally healthy perspective, I didn't know those words then. But what I realized was that people weren't quite giving their all. There was something getting in the way. And so I went on a path very much around looking at, well, what do genuine, authentic leaders look like? And my word authentic is not the word that I think Mm. gets used in the same context. Authentic for me is it's not about just showing up and telling people this is who you are and bad luck if you don't like me. It's very much being aware of what is important in your life, how you show up, what your impact is and consciously leading by example. So for me, authenticity has an integrity about it. It is about being above the line. It is about being aware of when you say something or do something that there's an impact. And what do you want that impact to be? So when I look back now, that's a really important time because I realized that if I wanted to be the best that I could be, I needed to be doing the work that felt right. And I'm not certainly saying that we just go look for the perfect job or the ideal situation. Every role that I've had has also had its ups and downs. But what I know in those downs is that remaining true to what is important for me is what gets me back up. So As I said, I didn't know the word emotionally healthy back then. I did know that an enhanced state of well-being, the ability to make conscious choices, holding respectful relationships and having some mindful practices that kept you aware and conscious of you and your world made a big difference. And I could see when some of that was missing, people just didn't give quite everything Not sacrificing, that's not what I mean, but they just didn't quite show up in the most authentic way possible.
1: Yeah, okay. So that feeling of connection to a sense of purpose was integral to the kind of leadership that enabled the work to thrive. I want to go back to that family that you work with. Did you continue working with them and was there an opportunity for them to connect with a purpose?
0: I did keep working with them. I was employed by them and my job was basically to help the family take their hands off the business while keeping it in their own ownership, but also growing it at the same time and knowing in family businesses, you can't do everything. How do you then trust the people that you're going to bring on to do what you believe is right for the business? So that was my job. It was a gift. I had seven and a half years in that work. And the wonderful piece of work that we did was to truly look at the, at that time, the vision, the purpose. The principles that guided the organisation and in their case it was a set of values and also the absolute ability to sit with the four sons and talk about what they wanted for the future of their children. Because in some ways, and I'm not suggesting it was too late because they've all gone on and done great things, the capacity of the organisation to really see a role for the children was about giving those children the opportunity to do other things first, to really test the waters elsewhere. And so the family plan that was developed was integral to changing the future of the children in that organisation, but also really built the organisation, brought in people with capability and a sense of the same values as the family had, but also able to take it further. So it was a double win.
1: Yeah, great outcome for everyone. Something you mentioned there, which I'd love to explore a bit, was you invited the sons to think about their legacy, what they wanted to leave for their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, future generations. It strikes me that that kind of long-term thinking is a pretty important piece in this.
0: Yes, and that's true for Global Leadership Foundation, as true as it was for that wine company they still exist today. They've expanded. They've not changed direction, but really developed direction. And I think it's into its fourth generation now, maybe even five. And that's a telling sign because normally after three generations, many family companies fall apart. That's a fairly well-known story. So this sense of bigger picture, the future for them was that fostering the social relationships that was camaraderie it was community it was wine and food it was wine as part of something bigger rather than we're just going to make great wine
1: okay so this work global leadership foundation began around 30 years ago
0: where 20 years ago next year
1: great okay So I'd love to hear a little bit about the landscape 20 years ago of what leadership looked like. And this is at a large scale. How were we thinking about leaders? What were the qualities of leaders at that time? Mm. And probably most importantly, what were you observing was missing in leadership or that needed to be there that you felt had to be there?
0: Yeah. The thing that was obvious at that time, there was a huge focus on competencies, on leaders bringing competent behaviours to the table and a lot of work around skills like giving and receiving feedback, skills like dealing with difficult people, skills like problem solving, skills like decision-making. And it felt very, not structured, but there was a lot of focus on here are some key steps that you can take and if you follow these steps, there's a fairly good chance you're going to get the outcome you want. And I definitely was part of that process involved in that work. And I was clear that we needed competencies, no doubt that we need to be technically capable as leaders. And that certainly was where I think a lot of the work that we were seeing was happening. At the same time, though, and this is what was most fascinating, there was a person called Daniel Goleman. (laughs) who now we'll know connected to emotional intelligence. But 20 years ago, Daniel Goleman was testing the water. He was saying, how do we bring this to business in a way that doesn't frighten people off and gives them some sense of a little bit more than just being technically skilled at dealing with difficult people or giving and receiving feedback. You actually need strong interpersonal capability to do that. And I got quite excited because it felt to me like this was the piece that was missing. And at around that same time, in fact, a little earlier, I'd met Malcolm Lazenby, the co-founder of Global Leadership Foundation, at an Australian Human Resources Institute conference. And Malcolm and I just happened to end up the same workshops together. And I got talking to him at one of the coffee breaks, and he started to talk about emotional intelligence and how he was using it within his organization. He was the technical services director in a service industry in Tasmania. And he was saying they were seeing some really interesting outcomes when people started to focus on becoming more aware of themselves, what made them tick, what drives and motivates somebody, and what's their impact when they're above the line. So, when they're emotionally healthy or when they're below the line. So, when they're reactive and defensive and blaming and defending their situations. And as Malcolm was talking to me, he had been playing with a bit of a quiz, a test to see where people were with their emotional intelligence, taking Daniel Goldman's work and putting it into a survey. That was probably the catalyst for starting our work together because this was the piece for me that in the jigsaw puzzle was missing technically competent, lots of extraordinary capabilities that we expected as leaders without looking at what does get in the way of dealing with difficult people. And it isn't a set of key steps. It's usually our own capacity to confront what's bothering us in that moment as much as what's bothering the other person.
1: Okay, so that's quite an amazing moment for you and for the work.
0: Yeah, Yeah, it was. It was.
1: That's a binary question, but I'm just curious. How does that period, that landscape compare to what you're seeing now in terms of leadership?
0: I guess the thing, if I was to say one thing that's obvious, Mm. is everyone now knows what emotional intelligence is. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) yeah.
1: So the
0: landscape has really changed. Yeah, yeah. And what we now see is definitely much more of a focus on Who am I? What drives and motivates me? How do I Mm. show up? Mm. What is the impact that I have around me? How can I be more effective as a leader? Not how do I just get more efficient? So we're starting to see much more of a, and I don't want to say it's an individual focus, but it is more about what drives and motivates me, what makes me tick, and what's the impact that I have on others. Mm. So for us, that's the adaptive piece as well. When we start to know who we are and what we do and why we do it, we're far more conscious and more able to adapt in situations because we already know what some of those triggers are. So we're certainly starting to hear the word adaptive being used, this constant thinking about, okay, the world isn't constant. Things do change. It's ambiguous. There's a lot of chaos. What does that mean for me if I am a leader? What do people expect of me in those situations? How do I adapt? How am I flexible? What is it that I need to do to drive and motivate and support others to be the best they can be as well?
1: That's mm. oh, so interesting that relationship between self awareness and adaptability. I hadn't considered that, but obviously yep. it's, it's quite clear. Yep. So, did you notice that, I guess, over these very tumultuous few years that we've had? the leaders that did get through the period and thriving again or on their way to thriving and those who perhaps didn't?
0: That's another good question, Nathan. We've noticed a couple of things. I think the first thing is that we've been measuring emotional health now in leadership for 15 years. So when I talk about emotional health, again, it's an enhanced state of well-being, conscious choices, mindful practices, respectful relationships. And we have a profile that enables us to measure where people are on the emotional health levels. And it can be self-generated or it can be done in a 360 environment. Certainly, these last three years, both from a data perspective, but also from a narrative, even our most emotionally healthy leaders have said they've really noticed how they spike down just dropping in emotional health, I notice the difference between when I'm above the line and I'm conscious of the choices I'm making versus that reactive, we're put in lockdown, oh my God, what do I do now? That sort of sense of really trying to understand what's going on and knowing that there's not much chance of understanding this chaos. So viruses, they're certainly not predictable. (laughs) And so if we move into this, I'm going to try and control everything in my space. We know that we just become more and more disheartened. So we've heard them tell us that things have dropped a level in some ways in that case, but they know they can come back. So they know with the practices they have in place, they know the fact that they're aware of their own triggers, that they have more capacity to come back up, up above that line.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there
1: signs similar or quite unique to the person in terms of when people find themselves below the line, the things that they're observing in themselves? No, they're pretty similar. What are they?
0: So we use four words to describe below the line. Mm. So we move into blame, we move into defend, we move into deny, or we move into justify. And a very interesting example would be our loved ones. When they press our hot buttons, generally it doesn't take much for us to react. And I often talk to leaders, particularly if they've got adolescence, Mm. and we'll remember even as adolescents ourselves that it didn't take much for a parent to press the button or for us to press the button, and off we went. So it's normal and natural to react, and we wouldn't want it any other way because what we know is once we understand what our reactions are, we can manage them. So defending, denying, blaming, justifying usually come when we feel threatened, when we feel uncomfortable, when we're unhappy, we're uncertain, we think about lockdown. There were many, many different reactions to being locked down, you know, from blaming all sorts of people for all sorts of things that had nothing to do with the virus. Other people just literally withdrawing and going and hiding and hoping that somehow it all goes away. So our reactions generally are about trying to stay safe, trying to stay protected. Usually they're inappropriate reactions for the moment and they usually don't get us what we want normally what happens is they exacerbate the situation rather than fix it
1: yeah okay these experiences aren't unique to leaders. They're common to everyone, what you're describing now. Exactly. I just want to step back a bit and talk about this word leader because we've just been talking about it with some assumptions, I suppose. And I know conversations around leadership, people can feel excluded from them because I guess the definitions of leadership that we have in our culture is quite exclusive to business or the political realm. But Mm. I'm wondering if first of all, how you define leadership or a leader Mm. and in what context we're talking about the leader today and in your work.
0: So very broadly Our definition of leadership is that if anybody has anyone else following them, then they're leaders. And when I say follow, I don't mean walking behind them. I mean watching them. I mean observing them. So frankly, in our world, everyone's a leader. It's very rare that there wouldn't be somebody who is being observed by another to watch what they're doing or how they're responding. I get really concerned when we have What we have generally are roles. So we end up saying this is a leadership role and really what that tells me is that it's a person with some level of authority or power or control, whatever it is, Mm. and it often has nothing to do with leadership. Ah, So so they'll talk mm -hmm. about the senior leadership team, but frankly, if you look at the senior leadership team, they're usually a group of people that have important and definitive roles that have some sort of level of accountability or responsibility, but I think we'll all know that none of them might ever be called leaders because of the behaviours that you see. So for me, I hate the word senior leadership because it implies somehow that you have to be senior to lead. Yeah, (laughs) right. I'm generalising now, but often some of the senior leaders can be so ineffective in their roles in terms of how they impact on others, how they adapt and how they engage, how they enable. They're very different traits and characteristics from the roles that they have.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's really interesting. And I wonder if we can colour this in a bit by talking about a leader that you think is really effective, whether that's someone that we all know. What is it about them?
0: Yeah, my problem with public figures is that unless you know them personally, they're usually surrounded by spin of some kind. So I don't know Jacinta Ardern personally. I don't know her at all. However, what I do see is the ability to truly understand and engage in ways that meet the needs of the people that she's with. Now, there'll be somebody with another political view (laughs) that's that's going to counter everything I've just said. However, what I do see is a genuine response. My sense as I observe her is that she's very conscious of her impact. Now, we can all be conscious of our impact and not be emotionally healthy. However, the dilemma is that we can only hold that consciousness for a very short period of time before we revert. Being emotionally healthy takes practice. It takes self-awareness. It takes mindful practices. It takes the ability to make conscious choices. I'm thinking of a leader who holds that in the world that I work in The really interesting thing for me is that this person will give absolute commitment to the development of others. So when we talk about true leadership, this is a person who not only leads by example, but continues to learn, who's willing to say, I still don't know everything, (laughs) who's willing to truly sit in spaces where I know he's very uncomfortable But also for him and his growth, he said, I need to be in places where I don't feel that I know everything, where I am learning from others that this is something that will benefit me and benefit my organisation. I see him constantly continuing to learn.
1: My, My big feeling is, how does someone achieve that level of vulnerability? How do they hold that without it being seen as a weakness? You know Those things in our culture, especially with, for people in powerful positions, they start to reveal those things about themselves and there is a suggestion that they're not really in control. There's a weakness there. So how do we hold the two
0: things? That's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. First of all, he absolutely knows what drives and motivates him and he would honestly tell you that one of the things that he tends to be is a glass half empty. So he'll often say, you know, my first thing I'll think about is all of the consequences and the risks the things that can go wrong, rather than thinking about what's possible. So one of the things that he'll do and he'll say in the room, and I've been there with him, is to say, my immediate response will be to go with, okay, what are the risks here? What are the consequences? But what I want is to hear the possibilities first. I'm really good at coming up with all of the risks and consequences, so let's get the possibilities on the table now. That's being vulnerable. It's also engaging. It's also enabling others. And it's also letting people know that I've got some skills, but right now here's what I want to hear from others. So that's the capacity. When you're self-aware, for me, I'm very aware that I'm the opposite. I'm the positive outlook person. I'm the one that looks for the possibilities before I even think of risk and consequence. So one of the things that I've also been clear about is when I'm with others is to sit with, okay, so what's the whole picture here, not what's my picture, and that's what this person does. He's looking for the whole picture. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And it's a practice. If you don't know that you're glass half full or glass half empty, then really all you do is you'll put one perspective into the room constantly. Once you know that the tendency is to go this way or that way, it opens up a whole new way of being. And in fact, for us, the gifts of all sorts of leadership is available when you let go of the things that you believe are the capabilities and capacities that got you to where you are.
1: Mm. I guess what's coming clear to me is you start to stand in your integrity when you're standing in your truth with the complexities, the uncertainties, all of it suddenly there is an integrity there and and people are seeing power in that rather than the weakness of it. That's really interesting. And there's a cultural shift I think that needs to happen or is happening that disconnects vulnerability with weakness and strength with absolute conviction. Have you seen that change?
0: Absolutely. And I think the gift of, sadly, the last probably five years in the political arena is people are getting really tired of power and control. And the arrogance and autocracy that comes with it's my way or the highway, I know best. When the world is saying there's a lot we don't know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and there's probably more we don't know than we do know. And how do we sit in complexity? How do we sit in ambiguity rather than sit with somebody that's going, no, this is the way it's going to be bad luck? And I do see that from a very broad perspective. That's been the value of things like emotional intelligence. It's certainly the value of emotional health. We're bringing awareness into the world that a whole person is not a power and control freak. A whole person has a range of ways of engaging, ways of enabling and being with others, not simply one technique or practice that they just use on everybody and hope that they get the same results. Are
1: there any perils of self-awareness or I guess what I'm getting at is, is there anything we need to be conscious of <laughs> with the pursuit of introspection? Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, there okay, is. Tell
1: there me about is. them. Great. Let um, me hear them.
0: So one of the perils is that once you start on the path, it always feels like you're going downhill. <laughs> oh, <my laughs> right. And I laugh because once I start to know more about me, once I start to understand these particular ways or the characteristics I have, I then start working on new practices, new ways of doing things. And it just feels like you're in a constant state of forever learning something. And sometimes you just go, oh, I'm just going to go back to being who I was. That sort of sense of, in my case, everything's possible. And everything could be possible, but some days everything's not possible. And, you know, the Pollyanna can be really annoying. So one of the perils is that you realize that there's a lot to learn. The other one is we talk about spiritual bypassing. So this is the other peril when we decide, okay, I'm just going to go do everything I need to find out about myself. I need to be the best that I can be. And we start on this journey and all we then become is a font of knowledge of everything about personality, about purpose and meaning, about ways of improving oneself. And we're really good at telling everybody, but nothing changes. We don't look or do anything differently we're just very good with the knowledge we have so sometimes we can get caught in the knowledge and learning rather than doing anything about it
1: <laughs> that's so interesting I find that to be true in my experience so it's good to be reminded yeah, I,
0: it's a good one for me i mm. see it a lot
2: mm, mm. the
0: world that we're in at the moment because a lot of people are taking significant personal journeys we have this little motto of awareness. You build awareness, then you need to accept that something needs to change. And only then can you take action. Without acceptance, you just keep getting the same old results that you had before. Yeah. And nothing changes. So that acceptance that I can be more effective, I can be more enabling, I can be more engaging, means then that I'm more willing to try new ways as a leader. Mm,
1: and it makes me think that the things not changing is a pretty revealing indicator yep. of this. It says a lot about what's going on. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yes, it's the one thing. And look, I'm not immune to it. It's really easy for me to have a conversation like this with you and say all the right things. Yeah. And then people Mm. will listen to it and go, oh, yeah, but you don't know her. (laughs) And and so for me, I have to be in integrity here. Malcolm and I will say to our clients that if they don't see us doing the work, how can we expect anybody else to do the work? It's, It's not possible. So without showing up in an emotionally healthy way, I can't expect anybody else to be in that space.
1: So that makes me think maybe we can chat a little bit more about the challenges have been in your own Mm. leadership journey and what have the learnings been in your journey. You've mentioned a couple, the kind of glass half full and trying to see the whole picture, which I love. Anything else come to
0: mind? There's two things that come to mind. Great. One is the imposter syndrome is alive and well. I still struggle to see myself as the capable, enabling, authentic leader that other people give me feedback that I am. Mm. (laughs) So, So sometimes I keep going, is that really me? It's taken quite a while to sit with that and I'm totally grateful to receive that sort of feedback. And at the same time, I find that little inner critic that lives inside me, it's much smaller than it used to be but it'll still be there on my right shoulder going, no, no, they're just saying that. So that's- What um, have you
1: learnt about that inner critic? How have you made it get smaller?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I have an inner coach. So somatically, I do this with some of the people I work with. My inner critic lives on my right shoulder, so it talks into my right ear. As soon as I hear the inner critic, I physically put my left hand on my left shoulder to call on my inner coach. So it's a physical practice. That really helps. The brain gets confused. So as soon as I touch my left shoulder with my left hand, my inner critic stops talking. Simple practice, but it definitely works for me.
1: And the inner coach then speaks.
0: Yep. The inner coach has a very different perspective. So the inner coach will, will say, you need to sit with this feedback right now. Don't even say thank you. Nod gracefully. Oh,
1: that's great. that. <laughs> no.
0: okay. So, The other one, peril, because I'm a thinker and then a doer. So I've got lots of possibilities. I think forward. I've got lots of ideas and then I just want to make them happen. So in our world, unless I integrate my third centre, so my head centre is the thinking, my body centre is the doing, I need to remember my heart centre and connect with my team and bring them along. (laughs) So it's really interesting and exciting for me to come up with great ideas and just start making them happen. And I also know that without that third centre, my emotional health levels are not high. What I'm forgetting and neglecting is to take care of the people around me and also myself by connecting in, by having conversations about this is what I'm thinking, really love your ideas, let's think about how we can work together on this. And that has been a definite learning for me.
1: Mm. I think that would be one that resonates with a lot of people who are more individual in getting tasks done and are then required to bring people along the journey. I think that bridging that gap between doing the work on your own and doing the work as a team, do you have any insights there as to how to do
2: that?
0: So you've got the idea, but before you take any more action, it really is about letting the idea sit and not suddenly going, okay, and now I'm going to make it happen. It's just stopping and reflecting and putting the idea aside and coming back to it. What that does for me is just takes away that enthusiasm that usually generates the action. So I become more reflective around the idea. Doesn't mean I still don't have lots of ideas, but I tend to put them aside and come back to them rather than get engaged in making them happen. Yeah, great.
1: I also wanted to hear a little bit about how we create good organisational culture, and this doesn't have to necessarily be from the leader's perspective, but just kind of general ideas about how Mm. we can work well together in teams. Mm -hmm.
0: So there's one big rule for us, one big rule. You can create all sorts of things that you want in your culture, values, inclusivity, or you want a culture of flexibility, and then you define all of those things, which is very natural and what you would want to do Mm. when you're looking at culture. The thing that goes missing is that we often don't see organisations aligning their systems and their processes to support that. So I tell the story, I had a CEO who stood up in the room, put his arms out to the whole organisation in the room and said, we are one team And this little voice from up the back said, does that mean I can park in your car park? (laughs) And that is so telling because we talk about one team, then we go to our own little personal car park, or some of us don't even have car parks. Mm. There's this real misalignment between what we're saying is a great culture and what we're doing in terms of the systems and processes to support it. For us, it's so telling. We can walk into an organisation and simply by being at the reception desk, if there is one, an organisation that says we're customer-centric and then you have to press a doorbell to get in and then there's a bell you ring because no one's at the desk. You know, all of those things are very telling. If you're going to be customer-centric, then what does that really look like? What are the systems and processes you need to have in place to make it that way? I keep thinking about inclusivity. Having a plan for inclusion is not inclusivity.
2: <laughs> it's Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: It's thing that you do to say that you've got an inclusion plan. What are we really seeing? How are people really included? That's a whole another conversation.
1: Yeah, it makes me think back to the first conversation we had around the family you're working on and The son's not feeling their purpose within that organisation. And there's a question here I have around, should organisations allow everyone to find their particular purpose in the broader organisational mission and values? How much should we work to create that alignment between the individual and the broader mission?
0: This is a good question. For me, if you've set up an organisation or a business with a purpose, then I would assume you're going to look for people who align with that purpose. It doesn't mean you're looking for everybody to be like you. However, it's really, for me, important that the business thrives through having people who want to be there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I know Elon Musk telling everybody to come back to work because that's how it's got to be is very different to saying, this is what I'm in business for, and this is who I'd like, and this is how I'd like it to happen. There's something about, we can't perhaps give everybody the opportunity to come up with their own meaning and purpose within the context of a business that already has meaning and purpose. It doesn't mean that we can't change and adapt, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be open to possibility. But I do think we have to be careful that Everyone finds their own little space within an organization that perhaps doesn't really meet integrity with a person's own values.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important.
0: I too. hope I'm making sense. No, it then. does,
1: yeah. That's really useful. Just got a couple more questions. I'm not sure
0: if this one is
1: going to be opening a can of worms, but I do know that you work with the Enneagram in your leadership training. I was curious, I guess, for people who have no knowledge of the Enneagram, how you would begin to talk about what it is and then also why it's quite important to uh, leadership development.
0: Mm. Yeah, the Enneagram is, for me, a fascinating way of building self-awareness. So it's like any other profiling opportunity, Myers Briggs, the Leadership Circle, you name it. The thing about any profiling tools, it needs to be for your own self discovery. And what the Enneagram enables, probably better than many of those tools, is the opportunity to understand a little bit more about the basic drivers and motivators of the personality. So the Enneagram has nine broad personality styles or types. For instance, in my case, the gift of my type, which is where Malcolm and I spend more time talking about gifts in this work, but the gift of my type is visionary and enthusiasm and seeing possibility. That comes from a basic fear of being trapped in emotional pain. So the gift that I have really comes from avoiding anything that's painful. If I sit with that and go, what does that mean for my life? What I'm very aware of is that sometimes I'll jump from one thing to the other so I don't have to commit. Mm -hmm. When I look back in my life, one of the things that I know is that I've had some Fantastic opportunities because I've taken a step forward. The argument would be that I left something that I could have committed to in order to take something that grass is greener on the other side. At the same time, though, what I also know is that by not committing, there are some things in my life. If I look back, I could say, you know, if I'd stuck with that, I might be in a different place. Hmm. The Enneagram, and I have more than one type, so we come into the world with a type. However, our careers, our significant caregivers in our early years, we know that if you're an engineer or an accountant or a lawyer, you're automatically going to be showing up with one particular Enneagram type because the training, in a sense, requires you to be logical and rational and factual. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we love the Enneagram because it is a journey of self-discovery. It's not complete or finite. There are millions of ways of looking at it. We have a particular way of looking at it through the emotional health levels. So we have continuums of behaviours for each of the Enneagram types. So interesting. On a good day, I can be visionary and enthusiastic and on a not so good day, I can look very scattered. So we have a range of behaviours in the types as well.
1: Right. And for anyone who would be interested in exploring more about this, do you have a suggestion for a resource?
0: Some great resources out there. Russ Hudson and Don Riso have written a fantastic book. It's basically the text for the world of the Enneagram I'm more than happy if people just go to our website. We've got a page on the Enneagram there with some directions to send people to other sources.
1: Just in coming to a close, I'd love to hear is the vision for the next 10 years with the lens of, of leadership, assuming that we got everything right. We acted on all of the solutions that are available to us. <laughs> so what does good leadership look and feel like in 10 years' time, what's happening in the world, how we behave yeah. with each other?
0: Yeah, I wouldn't go out. I think we're in a state of flux right now. There's a pendulum going two ways. There's a sense of, we had some Mm. sense of community within these last three years because of adversity. And we were also getting this sense of my rights. It's me. So I'm... Sitting at the moment with a lot of leaders who find this confusing, I think leaders are looking, they're looking for direction. Yeah, right. (laughs) And we're shaping it by giving people the chance to know more about themselves, the opportunity to better understand the individual. And it isn't about giving people what they want, but more for me about helping people understand the impact they're having. We're starting to see a lot more Leaders talking about impact, wanting to understand impact, asking for feed forward rather than feedback. So, if you were me, what would you be doing right now? Rather than doing something and then saying to people, How did I go? Yeah,
1: interesting. You know, interesting. It's a
0: paradox right now. Community and individual, and there's not an intersection yet.
1: Good to think about that and reflect on that because that isn't resolved. We can't really move into yeah. what's next. I love that. Mm.
2: more about Gail and her work over at globalleadershipfoundation.com and explore the Small Giants Academy Mastery of Business and Empathy Program over at smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE. Thanks for your company this episode. We'll be with you again in two weeks time with another conversation about purpose, our planet and building a hopeful future.
1: Loving Earth are chocolate makers from Melbourne. They make chocolate that satisfies more than the taste buds. They're on a regenerative journey and invite you to join
2: them. To find out more, head to their Instagram account at Loving Earth or their website www.lovingearth.net.